0: So we are rolling into another episode. Clara Larkin teaches high school mathematics at St. James Academy and is the dean of a community with over 100 students in it. She grew up in Salina, Kansas. She reads all the time, plays many kinds of recreational sports, and has done far more than her share of volunteer work. And two years ago, she spent 10 days in Poland. Today, I want to talk to her about her adventures abroad. For many people, travel is a dream. Some seek fun and adventure, others seek knowledge and enlightenment, and still others seek personal transformation. Claire found all three. We are here to discuss what Poland did to her, what she did to Poland, and how that nation is better off for her visiting it, how travel can make us into better people, and how you too can have the trip of a lifetime. Hey, Claire.
1: Hello, hello. <laughs> well, I doubt Poland even remembers I visited. <laughs>
0: Well, I've noticed that it's prospered in the most enormous way, you know, (laughs) since your visit. I think that has something, your visit had something to do with that.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh.
0: So before we get into Poland, though, let's get into your secret origin story and how travel played a part. I I just want to know what kind of little kid were you?
1: Um, I, so I'm the third of four, um. I was a pretty shy kid, um, especially like into my early years of high school, but I think I was I don't know if it's just being the third kid, but my mom said there's a lot of things that I just kind of would do on my own. And I think that's largely a testament to I have two older siblings to watch and learn from. And so it's just kinda like I, I yeah, I think sometimes middle children, um, yeah, they learn they learn quickly from their siblings. Um, so yeah, I, I was a shy kid, but I don't want to say independent, but I mo- maybe motivated and just determined kind of from a young age. Okay. I
0: okay. Um, I can't even picture you as shy.
1: Oh, <laughs> believe me, there was a time. <laughs> I
0: promise. Many years,
1: many, many years.
0: Is there a story behind you not being shy anymore?
1: Yeah. Become a transfer student in high school and you learn real quickly. You can either become a wallflower or walk up to people and be like, hey, my name's Claire Larkin. I'm a new student here. Can I sit with you? You, you have to come out of your shell. And there's, there's only one of two options. So I didn't want to be a wallflower. So I, you just learn to get out of your shell. I think
0: that's a really good way of looking at it, as opposed to waiting for somebody else to come and rescue you. You just sort of realize that the cavalry is not coming unless I am the cavalry. So that's just really good.
1: Well, yeah. And I don't want to go too much off topic, but I don't know from your, if this is true from your experience, but at least from my experience, like even as I've continued to, you know, like transition into other cities and, and stuff like that, I've learned that you, you very often have to like, in the sense, make the first move to put yourself in a community, like community doesn't really find you. You know what I mean? If you need it, you have to put your, yourself in a position to be found. So I don't know. It just, yeah, I don't, I don't think it all too often, just like falls into your lap you have to put yourself in positions for it i don't know if that makes sense but i know yes. i think that's
0: great you have to if you want to go fishing you have to go to the lake It just
1: makes <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: makes perfect exactly. sense okay so when you were small kind of rewinding back to i guess grade school or so mm-hmm. what type of travel did you do
1: mm-hmm. uh we never i shouldn't say never we very infrequently took big vacations we just didn't have it uh in the budget growing up uh, in my family. And so trips usually amounted to uh, visiting grandpa and grandma's house in Cocker city, Kansas, which most people have never heard of. Um, It's home of the world's largest ball of twine. If you're looking for fun adventures, but, uh, (laughs) but in all seriousness, like we didn't take big vacations and the two that like just come to mind because they were so rare, um, one year, my brother went to the Notre Dame football camp, uh, at Notre Dame. And, uh, I think I was maybe seventh grade and we, we spent a whole week on campus. My dad being an alum, we got into the alumni dorm and it was like, I'm sure a good rate for family. So we spent a whole week on campus and just like rode bikes and took walks and played ping pong and talk about technology free. It was awesome. So like, that was one big vacation that I remember because it, they were so rare and then another one is um, we were living in Omaha at the time and my mom did a garage sale, and the proceeds from the garage sale uh, my parents put towards uh, taking us to worlds of fun. So I remember when I was like, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, we came down to Kansas City and went to Worlds of Fun for one afternoon. But like other than that, we we didn't we didn't travel. So that's Pretty
0: awesome, though. I mean, these experiences uh, just really made a mark on you. Uh, did, one, yeah. did one of those experiences or maybe a different one at that age make a permanent impact on you?
1: Uh, neither of those, but my dad was in the Army, and my dad just did a lot of things um, before uh, he got married. Like, he was stationed in Germany he studied at the University of Ireland for a year. He, he did a lot of traveling. And, and so, um, yeah, it, w- it was never something that was like, oh, you should do this. It was just, it was kind of just known to be a fabric of like our, his history. And then my oldest brother, Liam, um, went to Notre Dame and their junior year, because he was studying architecture, he uh, spent an entire year in Rome. And that was really the defining. Um, experience for me because I admire my brother Liam a lot and we're five years apart and basically I I saw him go through everything I wanted to accomplish and it was just like okay I I just I saw him his life and what he was living I was like okay I really want you know like that that and that and so it it was really Liam going abroad um, that like really made me realize oh this is actually an option and oh I really would love to do that someday
0: so That's pretty incredible. And I suppose if he came back from these things alive, then that also, (laughs) it showed you that it was safe, that you could do it too.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. He went to Egypt one, I don't know, one weekend. And the funny thing is, yeah, that's one place I would love to go, but I just know it's travel. Maybe not be the best, but oh my gosh. Yeah. That's one place I've never gotten to, but I would love to go.
0: I had a uh, college student one time, the guy's name was Justin, and uh, he had been to 19 countries by the age of 19, and he was going to take his 13-year-old brother, Parker, to Egypt. And he was planning on this, and they booked their tickets and done all these things, and then they got on the airplane, and they flew to Europe, and then they were going to fly to Egypt, and this was in 2011, and then that weekend, Egypt had a revolution they oh, no. overthrew the dictator who'd been in charge of the country for decades. And so uh, he wound up taking his brother the turkey instead on the spur oh, of the wow. moment. And I'm like, you just went the turkey on the spur of the moment? I, I, just, I just am just dazzled by people who can do things like that. And yeah. actually, actually, that's part of the reason I'm speaking with you, just because of Poland. You know, Because yeah. I've, I've never been to Europe, and I'm just, I'm just very excited to hear yeah. about this.
1: Real quickly, about 2011, that was the semester I studied in Europe, and Liam actually made me promise him that I wouldn't try to go to Egypt, (laughs) because he knew, (laughs) so I never made it to Egypt.
0: (laughs) Revolution is coming, and so is Claire, to stop it. Okay, so then high school comes along. What type Mm -hmm. of high school student were you?
1: yeah so I know it's hard to believe, but I was really I was really shy. Um, but i I did a lot of sports. I did um, golf, basketball, and soccer my first two years. Um, yeah, just that was my outlet. That's what I love to do. And then I was a very, very academically driven student, which looking back, if I could redo high school, i would I would be a completely different student. but at the time, like I said, I, I really wanted to get to Notre Dame and I knew, well, you got to have good grades, at least have a shot. And so I was really academically motivated. And then, um, yeah, in between my sophomore and junior years, we moved from Omaha to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And that same summer I had reconstructive foot surgery. So sports all of a sudden, um, kind of got removed from the picture. And, um, I love to sing, and so my outlet in Cedar Rapids was kind of like more the fine arts route. I was really involved in choir, but, yeah, I mean, I know it's hard to believe now. I know, but I was really quiet and shy my freshman sophomore year. And then, yeah, junior and senior, I don't know. You just, yeah, you kind of come into your own, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm very, very curious how would you do high school differently if you had a chance to do <laughs> it over again? I'm here I I'm would, party animal.
1: I would go out for track. I think I would have done really well as a hurdler. And I never gave it a shot because I had played soccer all these years. I mean that's kind of a a really minute one, but it's true. I would totally go out for track. And then I just especially being a teacher, I I, I honestly would just care less about my grades and i don't mean that in the sense of like i would blow off academics but i would go into every class just for the sake of learning and kind of let the grade take care of its take care of itself whatever that may end up looking like cuz i just sometimes i think actually if you stress too much about the grade i don't know I'm, I'm i'm at least from my experience you don't actually end up retaining the knowledge and then it's like well what's the point you know what i mean
0: oh like, for what? sure for sure. I, I, I made straight A's in high school, pretty much. I, I was valedictorian in my class out of 32 kids. And part of the reason was nobody else wanted to make a speech. <laughs> and so here I'm valedictorian, and then it's second semester of my senior year, and uh, they say, you got to make a speech. And I said, what? And they said, well, you're valedictorian. <laughs> you have to make a speech. And I said, well, I'm just going to tank my GPA. And they said, it's too late. And I said, "What?" And they said, "It's mathematically impossible at this point. The salutatorian is too far behind. You got to make a speech." I was just like, "I just can't even believe this. I mean, I'm getting punished for being the valedictorian. It was just the most horrible experience." So, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're both teachers. We just wish students would care about the subject matter yes. and let the grade take care of itself. Yeah. I tell yeah. them, "Don't wind up like me." I said, "I." <laughs> I said I made an A minus in Spanish. I crammed for every test. I I I aced all the tests. I I did all the homework. I I put nothing into it other than the grade. That was it. And now years later, I'm lucky if I can say taco, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a tragedy. I would if it I could is. go back in time and and flunk Spanish and be fluent. If that were the option, I w- I would take the F for fluent.
1: Yeah.
0: I would completely yeah. do that. So. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, in high school, what type of travel did you do?
1: Other than moving <laughs> from Nebraska <laughs> to Iowa, really, um, honestly, not not that much. It it literally still amounted to like visiting family and then uh Liam was in college then and so like the big thing was well, Liam was at Notre Dame, so we'd go up for a family weekend and a football game every fall and then my sister um who's 3 years older than me eventually ended up um at Benedictine and so during those years when Leah was at Notre Dame and she was at Benedictine like we'd go to family weekends at both but honestly not not anything crazy
0: nothing nothing too exotic but i, no. I just i just love how it's all tied into family i just think that's fantastic
1: yeah yeah. It's it's funny. It's like, that's not, yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then you go off to college and yeah. I'm wondering, did college change you as a person?
1: I think I would absolutely, s- yes, absolutely. But it, it wasn't like a quick process. It was like, I always tell my students, especially when it comes up for like modern day or God week witnesses, but like, Sophomore year, still to date, was like, one of the most painful years of my life for a number of reasons, like not physically painful, but just there was a lot that was kind of like coming to a head, things I placed my identity in in high school that I'm realizing don't, don't bring you happiness anymore, and don't love you back. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, long story short, because I cared so much about my grades, and partly because we moved, like I had really good friends in high school, but I never knew the human need for them, and so I didn't really hang out with friends in high school. I could have, but I cared too much about academics, and I like being with my family. But then you go to college, and you're not with your family, and no one cares about your grades, and it's like, all of a sudden, I didn't really know what to do. Um, And that's, a yeah, I'm really, really, really grateful for that experience. I would not want to live through it again, but it was basically learning how to order your loves correctly, and mine were really out of whack, so...
0: How, yeah. How, how should we I'll, order our loves?
1: Well, I just think, oh my gosh, for me in high school, it was, it was, like, I always tell my kids, my prayer life in high school was going to mass on Sunday and then praying, Lord, help me to get an A on my calculus test. Okay. <laughs> but like, literally, And then it went family and then like friends. But I mean, a relationship with God is just, I've just come to learn and to really firmly believe just so paramount. And then I just tell my kids, you got to invest in people who can love you back. Like there's was a, a student I had this year who I saw a lot of myself in him and he really, really cared about his grades. And in a very gentle way, I just shared with him part of my experience and basically said like, like I want to make sure that in these pursuits for good grades, you're not, Losing friendships along the way, like you, you need to make sure that you're spending time investing in relationships. And he he received it very well by the grace of God. But um, yeah, it just oh, I would not want to relive sophomore year. Grateful for it. Nope, would not relive it.
0: I love so. that. That's really powerful. I just I feel like I've stumbled into that trap myself, and I think a lot of people can relate. This is the teenage version of what a lot of adults do. Is a lot of adults live to work. And yes, and some teens live for their grades. And you're basically yeah. saying God and relationships and people really come first. You know, yes. I, I can love my job, but maybe my job doesn't love me back, yeah. you know, or kids could love that a but that a at the end of the day is not going to love you back. It's a wonderful accomplishment, but yeah. it could cost you relationships and your spiritual life, then maybe the price is just a little too high. I just love that. I just, I think that was beautifully said of you.
1: I remember really being challenged by a chaplain at Benedictine. I think it was, I don't know, early on, maybe freshman year even, who said you should aim to have A's in your relationships and B's in your classes, right? Now take that with a grain of salt because it's not like you can have A's in both, but the way that he, like that is ordering right there. Like you, you need to make sure that your relationships are healthy, and then, I don't know.
0: I like yeah. that. I like that. I mean, it's it's certainly <laughs> possible that people could make A's and all of the above.
1: I agree. Yep. But,
0: but kind of what you're saying is if push comes to shove, relationships should come first. I just yeah. I think that's great. Okay. I'm
1: always hesitant to say that because I'm like from a parent's perspective, when A's have a dollar sign next to them for scholarships, I'm like, well, probably shouldn't. You know what I mean? I'm always hesitant to say that phrase because I'm like, ah,
0: Oh for I sure. Do, for I do sure, know dollar
1: but... signs are also attached with A's, which you probably care a lot about, so I'll just keep this one to myself.
0: See, but the thing <laughs> is, like I agree with what you're saying, but I, I guess I don't know, maybe it's because I've been teaching for so long and I've taught high school and I've taught college. I taught college for 20 years. I worry that some of these kids just have very hollow A's. That they, yeah. uh, they did everything to get the A and then they forgot yeah. everything like me in the Spanish class.
1: Absolutely. And then when
0: they go to college, if they've never cracked a book or if they don't have a passion <laughs> to learn and if they just wanted the A, I, yeah. I'm just afraid that college is just going to decimate them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
0: So, so just kind of putting that out there for parents that, you know, maybe <laughs> you should do the right thing, have your kid do the right thing.
1: Any questions or comments please email Tim Webker. <laughs> he will answer all of us. <laughs>
0: yeah, just send it to timwebker at noreply.com.
1: <laughs> he will take all your financial concerns. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's I will take I will take them to the bank. So, okay. So, so you go to college and, yeah. and this was a big change. Um how did you travel in did you travel in college?
1: Yeah. Uh, I did two two big things. One Um, the studying abroad that I mentioned earlier, so Benedictine college has a campus over in Florence, Italy. It's technically in a little village called Settignano, take bus number 10 from Florence, (laughs) Italy and head North, but it's a beautiful old Benedictine villa that used to be, um, a monastery, but it's obviously been converted. And basically you, you live, you go to school, eat all all in the same complex um but going back to like we never really had a lot of money growing up I knew like I said when I graduated and when I saw Liam go through I wanted to study abroad so um I actually you know when you graduate high school and you get a lot of money I didn't spend that I I saved it um for for an opportunity such as this to be able to study abroad um and so yeah it was just there were so many firsts on that Um, I had never been on a plane, so my first plane flight was from Kansas City to New Jersey, and then two hours later across the Atlantic, and it's just like, well, good thing I'm not scared of flying, because you really, you had no, there was no way to figure it out. I was just kind of like jumping in with both feet, but um, yeah, so you're, it's a short semester. You're really there from like the last week of January through um, the very end of April, and one thing about Europe is once you get across um, the Atlantic inter, uh, or travel within Europe is really, really cheap. And so um, the semester is structured in such a way to encourage traveling. We only had classes four days a week, and then we always had three-day weekends. So I honestly, of all the weekends that I was there, um, I, would, I think I was only in Florence maybe for three of them. Um, Some of them, we were on class trips. Um, Other times, I just, with groups of friends, would go. And um, yeah, so over the course of the semester, I went to um, France, Austria, Germany, Belgium, Ireland, and then obviously Italy. But Ireland and Belgium uh, were, so Liam always said if I studied abroad, he'd come visit me. And so he came to travel for me with 10 days. But the catch was if he comes and visits me, he wants to add another country to his list. So we had to find a happy median, something that he hasn't been to. Um, and so that's where Belgium came. So, yeah, he, we added Belgium to the trip because, yeah, it was part of the deal. But uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm really grateful for it. And looking back, I was 20 years old at the time. And part of me is like, who? I don't know, it just, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, who lets a 20-year-old travel through Europe, but, you know, was fine, you know, but it just seems like you're so young, I don't know, you feel really old at the time, but.
0: I would, I would have felt very, very old and sophisticated, <laughs> yeah. and you have to figure all these things out, you have to figure out, uh, I guess, you know, am I on the right train, am I going to oh, the right gosh. country?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, all of the above
0: was it pretty easy to figure out?
1: Let's just say I'm very good at traveling with people who know more than me. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I will I was never the lead the leader of any trip. Um yeah, that's more maybe that yeah, that just wasn't my strength back then. So so you picked the right people. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's And no, I don't mean that as friendships of use. It just happened to be <laughs> they were better at it than me, and I did not fight them for control.
0: <laughs> well, that's not, that's true humility to understand your place in life. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I'm I'm going to come back, I think, later to the question of, of did you love one of those countries the most? But but for now, I I think we should probably get into Poland. Okay, so you you graduate from college, and you've just been this very fun math teacher for a number of years, (laughs) and most people think that's an oxymoron, fun math teacher. (laughs) I (laughs) know! So, but we are not going to torture anybody by talking about math. So um, then came Poland. How did this Polish trip come about?
1: Uh, It really came out of the blue. Um, I had kind of had on my radar wanting to do another trip, but for the longest time, I thought it was going to be the Camino, but that for various reasons and multiple times just never came to fruition. And the trip just, yeah, always just seemed to fall apart. So I don't know if you remember her, but Annie Della Sega used to live here in Kansas City. I was actually her freshman orientation leader when she was a student at Benedictine, and she's a dear friend of mine, and she called me out of the blue one day and told me about this pilgrimage that she was made aware of because it was um, a pilgrimage, um, how do I say this, Uh, like through Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, but led by the Sisters of Life, and Annie's best friend was a Focus missionary at the time and had been Selected as one of the missionaries to lead it. So literally out of the blue, Poland would never have been on my radar. I never would have gone. But um, the invitation of the friend and then thinking about it and doing a little bit of research even into, into Poland what the pilgrimage was going to be about. Yeah, it's really... So, came to
0: be. so what clenched it? So, I mean, you start reading about Poland, but it's got to be in the back of your mind that, hey, some people's lists say that there's 193 countries on Earth. And so <laughs> I'm reading about Poland. So, I, you know, you what? Know, why Poland? You know, it's.
1: I, Tim, that's a great question. And honestly, I don't I don't know if I could articulate even like. Yeah, what in the end did it, it might've been something Annie said at the time that like, I don't know, just resonated with me then. And I've, I've kind of forgotten it, but I, I honestly, I can't tell you it. Yeah. I'm a sucker for community. So it could have been Annie's invitation to be, to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I actually
0: don't remember. You know, that's a very interesting theme because I just interviewed another friend, Lindsay Reacher and Lindsay has been okay. in India, South Korea, and just a whole bunch of other places. And the impetus on every single trip that she's taken was a friend. Yeah. She went to South Korea when she was 18 or 19 because she had a friend, June C. I believe that was her name, who wanted her to go visit. So she went and lived there, I think, for a number of months. And then 10 years yeah. later, <clears throat> she did India pretty much for extremely similar reasons. And then any number of countries in between almost always tied into a friend. So I I guess I'm just detecting a theme here. Yeah. So that's just kind of cool. Okay. So you go to Poland, I guess we'll, we'll just do some of the logistics. How long was Mm -hmm. the trip supposed to be?
1: Um, So it was 10 days in the middle of July. Okay. I forget exactly when we left, but yeah, it was a 10 day pilgrimage. Okay. How did you prepare for Poland? Um, They gave us three books to read Oh, let me see if I can remember them. Um, 33 Days to Merciful Love. I think if I remember right, that's the consecration to Divine Mercy. Okay. I could be wrong. It's definitely called 33 Days to Merciful Love. And then two of them, one's called The Second Greatest Story Ever Told. It um, deals with JP2 and St. Postina and the message of Divine Mercy. And then the third one was, I think it's called The Five Loves of JP2. Um, But anyway, I wasn't able, I didn't read all of them. I did the 33 Days to Merciful Love and then um, the Five Loves of John Paul II. I don't think I I made it through the other one. And it wasn't required reading. It was just really to help you get in the mindset of like, um, yeah, just like the country that you were traveling to and its rich history.
0: So, okay, because Poland is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's overwhelmingly Catholic, isn't it? Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. But that,
1: I, they've been to hell and back.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, um, what did you know about Poland before you left and went to Poland?
1: Um, Honestly, I mean, I think I could have told you Maximilian Colby was from there. Bostina was from there and JP2 was from there. And I had a little bit of knowledge. I don't know if it factored in too much, but my older sister went to Poland. I can't remember what for, but she had traveled to Poland before I ever went. Um, I think she went with her parish at the time. But yeah, I I knew it had um, like a significant history, but. It sounds really ignorant, but honestly, I, I didn't know much, which made the pilgrimage like kind of all that more impressionable because yeah, because there's so much to, there's so much to take from Poland.
0: I bet when you got over there, then you were just probably knocked over with the history of Poland.
1: Uh, yeah. And um, I'll say that, like, would I recommend people visit Poland? Absolutely. But I'll also say that in this pilgrimage, there were a number of people leading it who had a lot of connections in Poland. And so it was really neat, not just like being in Poland, but we had a lot of connections and people that we were put in contact with um, who lived during certain moments in Poland's history and could just not just tell us the facts, but like tell us experiences firsthand. Mm -hmm. And if you just on a whim travel to Poland on your own with some friends, you're not guaranteed to get that same experience and so I, I think that was one of my favorite aspects of the trip was, yeah, like who was leading it, how many times they had already been to Poland, the connections they had in Poland, and just what, what they allowed us to enter into with them.
0: Okay, so let's get into some specific stories then. I, I guess we could start any place you want to start, but we, we mm-hmm. could just start with getting off of the plane if mm-hmm. you feel like it. What were your first impressions?
1: So the, um, the three main home bases, so over the 10 days, we were in Warsaw for basically three days and two nights. We were in Krakow for f- five days and four nights. And then we finished the pilgrimage in um, Zakopone, okay. which is in more like southern Poland, kind of more mountainous region. And we spent the last two nights there. So the first experience we had was of Warsaw. And I think just superficially, one of the first things that was pointed out to us by our, um, tourist, like, I don't know what you call her. She was the one, um, in the, from the tourist company that like the pilgrimage had hired to lead us through these 10 days. And she traveled with us for all 10 days, but in Warsaw, um, obviously it's not a communist country anymore, but you still see effects of um, the communist government. And she pointed out, especially like in some of the architecture, mm. like in Warsaw, there's the buildings were not built to be beautiful. They were built to be useful. Right. And so there's a lot of just kind of like concrete rectangles right? Uh, that, that are still there. And, and, and um, I think that was one of the first like really striking things. And then, just right away, our very first night. Um, it was optional, but I'm also a sucker for walks. I love going on walks. Um, we had a Dominican who was our chaplain for the whole trip, Father Jonathan Kalish. He's uh, he's in the Knights of Columbus as well, but he took us on a walk um, that ended in Victory Square in Warsaw, and uh, a lot of history involved in that square, but Um, I think for me, the most powerful was there's this, oh shoot, how many feet tall, like 30 foot cross. I don't know if it's made of marble or like white stone, but it's a 30 foot cross standing erect in, in victory square. And it's where JP two, um, held a mass right after he was elected Pope and on his first visit back to Poland and it's a famous speech where he, he basically um, calls upon the Holy Spirit to descend and renew the face of the, this earth. Um, and it's just, yeah. It, and another thing that made that so impactful was Father Jonathan knew a couple um, who lived in Poland at that time and um, who were still living there who came and joined him and us on that walk that evening and just hearing like their stories and like 500,000 people showed up for JP 2s mass. Right. I like, was still, when it was communist and it's like, uh, the husband was saying how like there were threats that if you didn't show up for school that day, that like your family would be turned in. But then 500,000 people show up and it's like, what are you going to do? Arrest 500,000 people? <laughs> like it was, it was just almost uncontrollable. The response to JP two's presence. And like you, you couldn't control it because it was Holy spirit led. And it just, I, 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 that was victory square in Warsaw for a number of reasons. I think, yeah, was one of the most impactful places for me. Cause it, it really tied together, like the history, not just like spiritually, but also politically and just, yeah.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. For people who <laughs> want just a little bit more of the context of that, I believe that was in either 1980, probably about 1981. So John Paul II became Pope, I believe, in 1978 or 79, somewhere in that ballpark. And so then he goes back to Poland to have these outdoor masses with half a million people. You can look up the photos on the Internet, and they're just staggering, absolutely staggering that a half a million people would show up for a speech. Well, before he even gets there, the Soviets in their government were severely questioning each other should we even allow him to return to Poland yep. because they were terrified because this man was an actor and he was mm-hmm. a writer and he mm-hmm. really knew how to work a crowd and he really mm-hmm. knew how to lead a crowd and they thought we are this close to having this man launch a revolution against us, the Soviet overlords. And mm-hmm. indeed, Poland had been a captive nation since 1945 of the Soviets. They had tried to overthrow the Polish government in 1956 and establish democracy. That didn't work. Uh, they'd constantly been under the thumb of the Soviets. They had a leader at the time running one of the trade unions who was, his house was getting bugged. This was like Lekwo This man is mm-hmm. a world hero, Lech Wałęsa. So this, this man, his, he's got nine children, he's got a wife, the Soviets are threatening his life, and yet he can't stop leading this, this movement uh, for freedom against the Soviets. And so it's in this context, Poland is just at the boiling point.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the
0: Pope shows up, yep. and he has people eating out of the palm of their hand. And the yep. Soviets are just terrified that he's going to say, overthrow the government. Yep. But instead what he says is, throw open the doors wide for Christ. And then a big linchpin to the whole story is then people would go home and they would turn on their TV, their Soviet TV. And uh, the Soviet TV would say that the Pope is a terrible man. He gave an awful speech. Everybody was bored. Nobody liked it. It was awful. And that was a moment when people who had been living under this system for 35 years suddenly realized, wow, they've been lying to us for the last 35 years. Every time we turned on the TV, they lied to us. And yeah. because they'd seen it with their own eyes. And then they came home and realized the truth of things.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Two things with that. Um, so there's a great documentary, uh, I believe, uh, created by Newt Gingrich. If that's how you say his name? We watched it on the pilgrimage. It's called Nine Days That Changed the World. And it's essentially, it details his this first visit back to Poland after he was elected Pope. And they told us that... JP 2 initially had wanted to visit Poland earlier in the year to commemorate the feast of St. Stanislaus, who's a huge saint and patron of Poland. The Communist government didn't want that. So they traded him for these nine days in June. And, and they said like, literally it was like one of the worst decisions the communist government made because they had him in their country for nine days. And exactly what you were talking about, um, that couple that night was saying it was like when those 500,000 were gathered in the square, all of a sudden it was like, they looked right to the left and to the right of each other. And it's like in their hearts, it's like, oh my gosh, these people want the same thing that I want. And it was like this, oh my gosh, you too, kind of like you want what I want, like kind of like our hearts aren't satisfied. And it was just, they, I think the movie, they call it like a revolution of conscience because it was not a violent um, movement that was born from JP2's uh, visit, it was a very peaceful, uh, movement, solidarity. I think that's what it was. Uh, Yes. The solidarity movement where it's just like, okay, of one mind and one heart, we want the same thing. It was not violent at all, but just like, it just kind of like wore the government down because the nation realized I'm not alone in this. And like, I'm, I'm not the only one not satisfied. So yeah. And just, I I have my, you can't see it, but, um, we got a little prayer companion for our, our, um, pilgrimage. And I went back and, and tried to find the exact date um so that speech he gave in victory square in warsaw was on june 2nd 1979 on the vigil of pentecost Mm. i mean come on come holy spirit vigil of pentecost it's like so providential and the communist government didn't think that one through you know what i mean
0: right (laughs) oh my
1: gosh god is so good
0: well to be fair they were in the uh era of stagnation. Uh, (laughs) That's what it gets called by historians. Their leader had been in charge since 1964, and he was old, he was tired, he was sick. He was bogged down in a no-win war in Afghanistan, which the Soviets later lost. He was in the process of going broke. Uh, His name was Leon Brezhnev, he of the mouse of eyebrows. So that was just kind of like he was on his last legs, and so they probably weren't making the smartest decisions. Uh, you know, because they were broke and they were tired and kind of getting their tail kicked uh, from about 25 different angles. So, yeah, just maybe not making the smartest moves or anything. It (laughs) it did wind up being a very peaceful next 10 years. I mean, the leaders of the Solidarity were constantly getting their phones bugged, their houses bugged, their 10-year-old children followed by the secret police all this stuff, but then when the Berlin Wall came down in 89, and they had the revolutions of 89, and Poland and seven other European countries had peaceful freedom come to them, uh, they had free elections, and so then all the communists ran for seats in the parliament. Before, they just were given seats in the parliament. 99% of them lost. I think, like, one communist retained his seat, and everybody else was turned out, and Poland's been this, this free country, yeah. Ever since, so yeah, so yeah, so anyway, that's uh, that was maybe one of the very first surprises when you were there. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so great. yeah, tell us about the the first three, four, five days, or tell me a funny story. Just tell me anything you want to tell me.
1: Yeah, so um, just one other highlight from Warsaw. Um, uh, there's a blessed there, uh, blessed Jerzy Popibusko, and he. Uh, volunteered to go say mass back during when the government was communist. Um, and essentially he got bugged and tracked and, and killed. But um, his story was just really, yeah, it was just really inspiring. And it, it just was the stark reality right in front of you when you first arrived in Poland of like what the Polish people were willing to do um, for the faith. Um, and don't ask me to spell his name. I I can't. But yeah, it's pronounced like blessed years Kobi Wusko, but um, it just, from there, it just built. We obviously went from Warsaw to Krakow, but um, we spent one night, I guess I forgot about this. We went to Czestochowa. Oh, I guess technically it's like Janus Gorsa, I think is what the city's called. But anyway, was um, another beloved place of JP2, and it houses a mirroring image called Our Lady of Chestahova, which is sometimes also called the Black Madonna. And um, I'll just share like a, a story from that real quickly. So the tradition holds that the image of Mary was painted by St. Luke on um, essentially the kitchen table that Mary took with her when she lived with John after Jesus' death, etc. But there's a long history with the image as well, and she has three two or three scratches on her face from people who have tried to uh, desecrate the image or steal the image. Um, And so it's just so powerful and so fitting that for a country like Poland, who has been through so much, like they have a mother who who visibly is also showing that she's been through so much as well. But the really incredible experience for me there was just to see how much the Polish people love Our Lady of Czestochowa. And there's a routine every night in the Basilica where the image is venerated Is venerate the right word?
0: Probably. I think so.
1: Venerate. Because I know we don't worship Mary. Venerate, I think. Oh, boy. (laughs) All of the theology teachers are being like, what in the world? Um, But, okay. (laughs) Every night, they quote-unquote put Mary to bed, and so they lower this, like, curtain over her image, and then, like, the cathedral's closed. But every morning at 6 a.m., they wake her up, like... Uh, with trumpets as if, like, a queen was entering the room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and we were invited to go, but you had to wake up at, like, 5.30 to even try to get a a shot for seeing it at 6 o'clock. And I had a friend at the time who um, was really, really going through some serious anxiety and depression, and she has a lot of Polish heritage. And so I think a main aspect of pilgrimage is not – I mean, there's a lot of aspects, but one thing is to bring other people's intentions with you on your pilgrimage and to sacrifice for them along the way. And so I woke up at five thirty and snuck out, not snuck out because you're allowed to go, but um, yeah, I woke up in time to essentially wake Mary up and then um, yeah, do, do the prayer service all for this dear friend of mine. And it was such a powerful experience because it was like, yeah, just, it was, I've never seen anything like that. And I probably will never again because I've never heard of another place waking up Mary with trumpets, but they they love that. And the sisters are saying later on that like it's just a normal part of, of those residents' day. They just wake up, go to the church, wake Mary up, and then go on to work. You know what I mean? How how different of a life that would be. But
0: Yeah, something utterly unique. Uh yeah. that maybe only happens in Poland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well and yeah. it's it's really good to see people taking their culture seriously.
1: I agree. Just wonderful,
0: beautiful. Well, and we've kind of alluded to just how tough Poland has had it, but for people who don't know, so Poland was invaded by the Nazis in 1939, and then it was just utterly brutalized and beaten down for the next six years. And most of the Nazi concentration camps were in Poland. And then the minute the Nazis left, the Soviets moved in. And the Soviets dominated all the way up until 1989. So roughly from 1939 to 1989, Poland was either in the clutches of Hitler's National Socialists or they were in the grip of Stalin's Soviet Union. And so I, they've just had a very, very tough time. No freedom of speech, no right to leave. People disappear, secret police uh Concentration camps, death camps, gulags. It's just, it was rough being Polish. So, yeah. um, can you tell us maybe a story of something that either touched you deeply or just something that will always stick with you?
1: Going along with what you said, I didn't know this, and maybe I learned it in school and had forgotten it. But so, yeah, they had it tough around World War II, but for like 173 years, before World War One, Poland wasn't even on the map. Like, Poland was no longer a country. It was divided into three parts between, like, Russia, Prussia, and, I think, Germany. So, like, literally, Poland disappeared from the map and was no longer, quote-unquote, Poland. But the people retained the culture just through the ways that people do when it's not, you know, like um, – Oh, I don't know what the word is when it, you know, like it may not be defined as Poland, but I, I was just like, oh, oh, my gosh, this, they've literally been erased from the map and and, and like reborn. Uh, yeah, it just I think the, that has still. Yeah,
0: that's very definitely. powerful. Maybe that's why the culture is so powerful, because it's fair to say that Hitler erased them from the map. Yeah. I mean, essentially the start of world war II was Hitler and Stalin splitting Poland in two and each of them taking half. Um, yeah. and then the Soviets of course erased Poland from the map. So they've had to retain their culture through all that. That's, that's mm-hmm. just pretty powerful. Um, yeah. Was there anything over there that was just a really funny story for you? Something that happened to you personally, perhaps?
1: Not me personally, but it's like at the very end of the trip, um, there were a couple of characters on this trip and one of them. So, cause the pilgrimage was only for women and it was basically for any college aged woman. And so like, I probably shouldn't have been allowed to go, but like I was allowed to. Um, but the, the pilgrimage was really designed for, you know, like college age people cause that's who focus usually administers to, but I kind of got in, you know, like, under the radar, uh, because I, I, knew Annie, but there was a couple of characters and one of, them um, uh, this was at the very end of the trip, but it's not like maybe funny, haha, but I, I was just astounded. Um, we're sitting in the terminal in Germany, waiting for our flight back to the U S and, um, this fellow pilgrim was just like super outgoing. Um, and also just, yeah, very likable and could really talk to anybody. And she walked up to this guy who had a guitar and before you know it, I kid you not, they are singing worship songs in the terminal. And like people are singing with them. And I know that's, yeah, not like funny haha, but I, it's funny in the sense of like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is actually happening. I mean, she, she had the whole place singing. I was like, oh my gosh,
0: it's so out a, of my
1: comfort zone because I don't like being the center of attention. So I was just like, wow.
0: Such a bright and cheerful moment. Yes. And just to get everybody else to to go along. That's just yeah. great. Did yeah. you did you ever have a moment in those ten days where you were just, I don't know, homesick?
1: I think from the times when I've traveled abroad and dealt with like the, the huge time change, I don't get homesick past like the first night. There's always a moment of I don't want to call it terror but you're like laying in bed your first night in Europe and you're just like oh my gosh my body knows it's not tired but it's like <laughs> I have to fall asleep if I don't fall asleep then I'm just gonna have 10 days of sleepless nights and and then it's like all of a sudden before you know it you wake up in it's morning but I no, I mean I wouldn't say homesick in in the natural sense but yeah those first nights they're they're always a bit yeah I'm just kind of like, oh boy, here we go. Am I actually going to fall asleep?
0: <laughs> Am Maybe. I going
1: to spend the next 10 days without
0: <laughs> Maybe without just adjusting asleep? to the time zone, you know, seven or eight time yeah. zones off, something like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Did it ever occur to you, oh, I just love Poland. I could live here.
1: Yeah, for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm a practical person. I started thinking it through more and I was like, I, I really wouldn't be happy here if, I, if it was just me. You know what I mean? Like, Sure, if I can bring 50 of my closest friends and my family members and be automatically fluent in Polish, yeah, I'd love to live there, but that's not reality. So, But I I did for a short amount of time, but then reality kind of set in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the whole thing sounds beautiful. I kind of want to ask one big picture question for now. People say that when we travel, one of the reasons we do so is to learn more about ourselves. Uh huh. What did you learn about yourself?
1: Um. So it kind of goes along with, um, uh, like probably one of the more difficult things with the trip. And I should have known going into it, um, being a focused trip. But like in my mind before I before I actually you know like got on the plane, I envisioned the trip was going to be this like really awesome kind of like intimate experience with, you know, like God, myself, my dear friend, Annie, and then, you know, like her cousin who was coming and and the the focus leader, her dear friend that was leading it. But like I said, I should have known being a focus trip that we would be put into like small groups and just mixed up. And so I think like one of the, the, the difficult things, which was also, it helped me know a bit about myself was, um, yeah, like uh you can know God not just through like your relationship with him, but you can also encounter God in others. And it's funny because it's like I know sometimes my tendency like I love community, but sometimes I know my tendency to not engage with um like others and I look back and I'm like maybe I did miss out. I probably did on opportunities to encounter God by not engaging as fully with my fellow pilgrims as, as maybe I, I would have, um, otherwise, but yeah, it's just, you're constantly learning about yourself. And that was, that was something that was very striking to me. But then the other thing, which was so much a part of our time in Krakow was the divine mercy message of Jesus. I trust in you. Um, and that has still stuck with me because it still strikes me that at the bottom of the divine mercy image, it's that inscription, Jesus, I trust in you. Because when I think of divine mercy, it's like, go and sin no more or your sins are forgiving. And so it's like, it still really strikes me that like Jesus told St. Faustina to have Jesus. I trust in you inscribed at the bottom of the divine mercy image. And I've, I've thought about it a lot and, and I don't, I don't know why, you know, but part of me, it's like, um, maybe if we trusted in God more and in divine providence, then like, sin would take care of itself, meaning we would sin less. You know what I mean? Where it's almost like go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. It's kind of like more scratching the surface of our problem. Whereas if we actually address the Jesus, I trust in you problem, the sin would also be taken care of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that has totally resonated with me ever since, Uh, well, this wouldn't be in the video, but you can see behind me, St. Faustina. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I, I pray to her all the time now and I belong to our lady of good counsel here in in Kansas city, which is the diocesan shrine of divine mercy. And yeah, I just transformative in that sense where I just, I continually am aware of how much I need to, yeah. Work on trust work in God on trust. as a loving father. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so. for, for secular people who may be just a little confused by what Claire is saying, um, a sin is, is basically a crime against God, but that also makes it a crime against yourself and and really kind of a strong christian belief is sin is actually turning away from god sin is kind of saying hey i don't think that you can make me happy god if i do the right thing i don't think that will make me happy so instead i have to grasp pleasure or or power for myself Mm -hmm. i have to see something for myself maybe i have to seal maybe i have to lie maybe i have to cheat maybe i have to trample another person because i don't trust Mm -hmm. that if i do the right thing that that I can be happy. And and so I guess what you're really kind of picking up is maybe more of a, a sense of trust. I mean, we all screw up. We have to be honest. I mean, they, they say even saints sin seven times a day. So what do the rest of us do? Um, so since we're all making errors, we're all screwing up, we're all blundering. But sometimes this is out of you know, quick impulse or just selfishness. And and so basically what you're saying is just, hey, I have to trust God more. I have to trust in the natural order of goodness in order to be happy. I'm just trying to clarify these things maybe for yeah. more secular. no, thank you. Listener. That's great. So, yeah thank you. Um, was that the way that you would say that this trip was transformative or were there any other transformations?
1: Mm, the divine mercy message, yeah, has been pretty transformative. Um, yeah, just devotion to that chaplet and and continually praying with that message of Jesus, I trust in you. Yeah, I would, yeah.
0: It's beautiful. Yep. It's
1: beautiful. Yeah. Can me. I share one more experience? Yes, real quick, yes please. Please? please do. Please do. Okay, it's kind of a, a, a really powerful one. So one of the places we got to go in Krakow, um, so talk about like, it's who you know and like, because our people had so many connections, we got to do things that people normally wouldn't do. So one of those was we got a walking tour of Krakow with George Weigel, who wrote the biography of JP2. I think it's called A Witness to Hope. Right. Eight. It's
0: magisterial. <laughs> it's like 800 oh, pages oh, long. Yes.
1: Yeah. Just And also A Brilliant Mind. And you talk about maybe a funny moment. There was a point in the trip where a lot of people started getting sick. Part of it was you just go, 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 go. And let's just say the day of our walking tour, we were a sorry bunch of pilgrims. I mean, girls just didn't feel good. And George Weigel, who knows what he thought of us, but we were a sorry sorry bunch of pilgrims. But one of the places we got to go um, that we had access to because of who we were with was the the chapel where JP2 was ordained a priest in secret because it was still at a time when
0: um, I the Nazis well, probably. Yes.
1: Yes. And it was very powerful for me. One to just be in a place like that where it's like, Oh my gosh, just to realize in gratitude, what you were able to experience, not by any merit of your own, but because someone else had a connection. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then the second thing, um, so at the time, and he still is, but my youngest brother, so it's Liam's the oldest and then my sister and then myself. And then my younger brother column um, is in the seminary and so it was such a powerful experience to to pray for him and with JP2 in that chapel for just his vocation and to ask jP2's intercession and like yeah I yeah it it was really really powerful and then to, to be able to to pray before um, a little relic of Jp2's blood um, for him and yeah just for JP2's intercession was yeah, pretty powerful. Which, by the way, do you know? Talk about if there's no non Catholics listening. This is kind of one of those things where it's like it maybe hard to wrap your mind around. But apparently, when JP2 was near his death, they took a, a few extra vials of blood because they, they, had, they thought there'd be a good chance he'd be a saint. And so you've got more relics. Did you know that?
0: No, I didn't. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so they have, they have more relics of JP2 than anybody because. Well, I
1: guess.
0: Wow. Well, uh. <laughs> That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty stunning. That's pretty so, stunning.
1: That's like only Catholic world. <laughs> well, and for,
0: for people who don't know about JB two, he was the Pope for 26 years. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, secular historians will uh, look at him as a world-class figure yep. uh, because of his uh, uniting with the Western countries against yep. communism and his, his gigantic role that he played in the downfall of the Soviet yep. Union. And then within Catholic circles, while well, the man had, I believe, two PhDs and spoke, you know, eight languages fluently, he was uh-huh. actually the person that more people have seen in person than any other human figure. I believe mm-hmm. that he, he went to maybe 150, 160 countries, possibly yeah. more. Uh, he would go places and then pick up little bits of the language just so he could say hello and yeah. God bless you and I love you. Just he would... Always take the time to learn a little bit about your language. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote the equivalent of 250 books over the course of his life. Incredible! Uh, I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography of all people, and he met the Pope. <laughs> and uh, he was just fascinated by the Pope's daily routine because he, he basically said, classic Arnold Schwarzenegger, if that guy can get all this stuff accomplished, I want to know what time of day he gets up. Four thirty in the morning, and what he eats for breakfast. So, yeah, yeah, yeah just a pretty uh, incredible, a pretty hardworking person uh, yep. who lived under the oppression of the Nazis, the oppression of the Communists, and then later yep. uh, just had done many, many marvelous things. So, yeah, for uh, sure, certainly a world class figure. Um, okay, so did you feel any culture shock when you went to Poland? Like, what's different about Poland and America?
1: Okay this this may sound random but having lived in not lived having visited Europe especially Rome there's gypsies everywhere and there's beggars everywhere and like even in big cities here in the United States there's just yeah there's there's gypsies and beggars you didn't see those in Poland they 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 weren't there and i remember remarking one of those first nights in Warsaw i remember Telling that to the wife of the couple, and I can't, I can't articulate exactly what she said, but essentially, it, it was like established a while ago that like that's not allowed, and so they just mm. they, they don't they don't come to pull in to do that. But that was one of the exterior things that like I was, I noticed almost immediately because in Rome you just feel like they're everywhere, and yeah, so wow. culture shock. I don't. I guess that's maybe not culture shock, but that was definitely something. That I noticed right off the bat, different about their culture than, yeah, than the other countries I traveled to.
0: Uh, did you adjust to the food just fine when you were over there?
1: Yeah, but once again, it's probably not. Um, like we ate really well, <laughs> and that sounds bad, but I, I mean, we we ate really well, like three, four course meals. Um, yeah. So, yes, uh, <laughs> like a lot of traditional Polish food. Um, they really wanted to make that part of our experience. And the places where we stayed, they were like so accommodating and wanted to do that for us. And so I did. I, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy the food. Yep.
0: What's the. Uh, see, I, I have a story about that, but I, I'm going to hold off.
1: What, <laughs> is,
0: what is the best Polish food?
1: Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Okay, I can see them, and I don't remember what they're called. They're they're kind of like dumplings, but they're not called dumplings. Uh, yep, I'm, I'm going to hit the easy button on that one. I don't remember the name of them, okay. but I, I can I can see them. I can't. Yep.
0: Okay, dumplings you have to. What color are they? What size are they? In case somebody wants to try them. <laughs>
1: oh, they probably would have a better bet instead of me trying to describe from my. Flawed memory. They should just literally Google <laughs> famous <laughs> Polish foods or something. I, I swear you'd have better, okay. you'd have better shot at learning that than I can. Ju- I, I mean, the best word I have from is like a wonton, okay. but that's that's not that's not the name. They not, use. What
0: it okay. not
1: what it is. Not what it is. Okay.
0: Um, well, I want to ask how the Polish sausage is because I knew somebody who was a vegetarian, maybe a vegan for 15 years. And then when she went to Poland, people said, you have to try this Polish sausage. And she said, I'm a vegan. And they said, yeah, but you have to try it. When in Poland, do what the Poles do. So she tried it. She fell in love with it. She had it twice a day for 10 days while she was over there. Then she came back to the United States and became a vegan vegetarian again. And I said, how could you do this? And she said, it was so delicious. And I said, but you're a vegan. And she goes, it was so scrumptious. And I said, but, but you're a vegan because, because of the animals for ethical reasons. And she said, you have to eat this stuff. It's so good.
1: I can't add to her Then it is good. It's delicious. They know how to cook. Okay. Okay. Can't give better praise than that.
0: Okay. Uh, My last question about Poland for now, Uh, what is something about Poland that people just would never guess?
1: Ah. Hmm. that's a really good question. I guess it depends on how much knowledge they have of pulling going into it. You know what I, like I yeah, maybe come back to me on that one. Okay
0: uh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Let's get into some practical advice, and uh, i'm I'm thinking about in terms of of travel and expenses right now. Because I I feel like a lot of people would love to travel, but they just think that they can't afford it. It's too expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a pretty amazing story about how you funded this trip. I would love to know the story.
1: Yeah. um, So at the time when Annie invited me, I was still paying off my undergrad student loan debt. And uh, the trip was about $2,600, which... I don't know how that compares to other trips because that's different than like the study abroad experience that I've done. Um, But for me at the time, $2,600 was like a significant amount of my savings. But I just felt very convicted and just like, I just saw the choice before me where it's like, okay, you can either put this money towards your debt, which not that that's a bad thing. But you could also put it towards this pilgrimage experience, which could really, really help you in your relationship with Christ. And, and honestly, when I looked at it like that, I was like, well, this is a no-brainer. Um, and, I mean, you probably know enough about me to know, like, for me, I don't know, money isn't always my <laughs> my end-all be-all. I mean, we've talked about this, but, yeah, so um, I was sharing this one day at our School of Faith group, and just told them how, I think, we must have been sharing our summer plans, because I don't know why else it would have come up, and... Um, yeah, I just shared that I was going to Poland that, you know, like it was going to be taken, you know, like a, a portion of my savings, but like that I, I really wanted to go. And I don't know if you remember this, but Tara Henderson, then without me asking and without my approval, sent out an email to the whole staff. Do you remember this? Mm, nope. I'm blanking. I think okay. I may have given you so she, some money to she, go. She sent, she sent, which there's a story behind that one, Tim, she sent out an email basically saying like. I would love to help Claire fund this trip. And she goes, don't basically don't feel pressured to give, but like, here's, here's the link. And she had the link because she had asked me previously for it. Cause I think she had, she must've asked me or told me that she personally wanted to make a donation. And so, um, one thing real quickly, I went back and I was reading old emails in preparation for this. You so graciously offered to help me fund a one way ticket to Poland. Do you remember that?
0: (laughs) Now I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You so graciously offered me a one-way ticket, (laughs) but in all sincerity, it was, it, it was a very powerful experience for me because, um, it was just like the Lord immediately was blessing my decision to not choose money over him Mm. because, um, I ended up only paying about half of that, um, Saint James graciously, their faculty members, and then I had a couple of family members. But yeah, about thirteen hundred was donated. And it was just a very, very, very powerful witness to me of of God's providence and how He can provide in ways you never expected. And so I remember that year. I remember that year I tied it into my God Week witness because I was just like, This is this is so powerful and goes so against what like everyone's motivated by in today's culture which is like money and, and and debt or whether you have debt and I just I don't know now yeah i'm not saying go like sign up for a trip because then someone's going to volunteer to pay for half of it but i wasn't looking for that and it just really fell into my lap and yeah it was it was very very powerful you know so surprise i came back i didn't do a one way
0: <laughs> well have you ever <laughs> considered That, since you fundraised half, maybe God wanted it to be a one-way ticket?
1: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Some people would take offense at that. I do not. (laughs) That's really funny. No, I don't. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Well,
0: let's get into some of the specifics here. I was just thinking about travel, Mm -hmm. and uh, the major expenses to me seem to be airfare, ground transportation... Mm -hmm lodging food entertainment and necessities and Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you had maybe a little bit of advice for people regarding each one and if you don't that's that's totally cool um airfare
1: yep um I think honestly regarding all of these I would totally just reiterate what I said earlier which is find someone who knows more than you because Tim Mm -hmm. I kid you not two of my best experiences um not Poland related, but from other trips, one was through other people who either because they researched really well or or knew where to go, found really, really great finds. Like the one of the two, um, one of them was when I was studying abroad, four of us girls took a trip to Paris. And one of my friends had snagged this awesome B&B with this woman who spoke English, who literally the first morning we woke up, laid a map of Paris down. We told her everything we wanted to see and she literally mapped out for us train by train where we should go and when. I mean, like, there's no way I could have found that. And then the other thing was one time in Rome, um, yeah, a friend that I was traveling with found lodging like five minutes north of um, St. Peter's Basilica. Just an awesome, like two bedroom, full kitchen. Um, Yeah, so I honestly would tell you or people interested, I would say, uh, ask around, find someone who has not only traveled, but traveled well and traveled successfully and who traveled in such a way that they would repeat their experience in a heartbeat.
0: That's so. pretty fantastic. Find the person yeah. who's been there and done that. Essentially. Yes.
1: And who knows more than you. So awesome. there
0: you go. Awesome. Okay. Uh, getting to the really big picture. Um, you've alluded to a lot of places,
1: Mm -hmm. Has there
0: been any place that you've been that was just absolutely phenomenal?
1: I've been thinking about this lately of places where I'd want to return to. And I, I really think I would love to return to the Tuscany region of Italy again. Um, whether that be Florence or Assisi or Rome, but yeah, I really liked the Tuscany region, um, yeah. So I, I think I'd say that I just, I found it very beautiful and very easy to, to get around.
0: Okay. Now, I mean, that place comes up a lot. I don't know much about it. I think they made a book and a movie called eat, eat some more, pray, eat even more. Love. Oh gosh.
1: Yeah. Yes. I know what you're alluding to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Overeat, pray a little love.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, that area is very much known for, like, its vineyards and its wine and kind of just, it's, uh, you don't want to call them, like, farmlands, but they just have very beautiful, like, yeah, scenic views. I, I just, I really like that region. I'd go back in a heartbeat, I think.
0: Is it because it's so peaceful or because it's so beautiful or why?
1: I think kind of all of the above. And then I think part of it is I, it's a bit of nostalgia, Because it's like, I loved my time there. And so it's like, oh, to return almost 10 years later to see, I don't know, Mm. see it with fresh eyes, I think would be really great.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now let's just say that you come into some money. Yes. You find out that your great, great, great grandparents passed away in 1894, but they left a little note in their will that you would receive $5 million Yes. after taxes. Now you can go to multiple places with this $5 million. Where would you go? What would you do?
1: I would absolutely go to Egypt. <laughs> 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 I kid you not. I, I would go to Egypt to, to, to see the remnants of a civilization that old. And then I think the geometry teacher in me is fascinated by things like the great pyramids and just how high tech the civilizations were with, without very advanced quote unquote technology as we know it. They, they were a very intelligent civilization. Um, and I, yeah, I would love, I'd, I'd love to see it through the eyes of a math teacher, but then also just through a human who's visiting something that's so old.
0: Oh yeah. I just, uh, I, I think everybody is fascinated the minute you learn just anything about ancient Egypt, yeah. uh, it just becomes instantly a draw yep. to people. Um, yep. so yeah, I, I could talk about King Tut for hours, but I, I yep. think I won't. Um, would you be looking to change yourself in any way through this travel,
1: like if I was to go to Egypt,
0: yeah, or or just with mm-hmm. your five million dollars, you can you can go to twenty five places. You can spend years traveling. Um, you know, you could be like Ulysses S. Grant and his wife Julia, who uh, they they did a two year trip around the world at a certain point, and after yeah. after he was president, I mean, they just they traveled essentially until they ran out of money, and then they came yeah. back to the United States um so i mean they were gone for two years i mean if you had this much money i guess would you be looking to change yourself in any way through travel
1: no and in fact i think (laughs) quote unquote egypt didn't take all the five million i would probably give some to family members and friends and then just donate the rest i don't know because i'm also i'm almost of the mindset like i think money changes people and i would i would I know you could travel with that money, but I'm just kind of like, ah. I don't know if I'd ever want to be in possession of that much money.
0: Yeah. I have. A People day- are
1: probably gasping for breath right now as they listen <laughs> to this, but it's true. I would, I'd do, I'd do some traveling, I'd give some to family and friends, and then I'd, I'd probably donate whatever was left. I think that's
0: wonderfully generous of you, and that's just very awesome. Well, we'll have to talk about money maybe in a different episode. <laughs> Um, I, I have a different theory, at honey. My, my theory is, is that money unleashes all kinds of things that are already in a person's subconscious.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, you know,
0: for example, if I'm, let's say I, I just inherently would be a jerk, but I'm making $40,000 a year, there's a limit to how much damage I can do, <coughs> most likely. But if I were making $40 million a year and if I were a jerk, well, now all of a sudden, maybe I'm a world class jerk. You know, yes. I, it's, yes. it's the same person, same personality. I just feel like money just winds up being gasoline on a fire. And so like, I, I think like a generous person can do quite a lot, maybe with 50,000 a year if that's what they're making. But if they were making 50 million a year, I, I don't know. I think that they, they would be building schools and orphanages and hospitals and yeah. just, just doing all kinds of things with it. Um, yeah. So th- that's no, my, that makes that's sense. my theory on it. Yeah. But, but I don't really know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, okay. What about making your life as a, you're living as a digital nomad? I mean, some people do this. Have you ever thought about this?
1: No, I, I think I'd wilt. I would not do well. Okay. Okay. That means that's kind of like when you just travel from place to place, right?
0: Yeah. Like maybe you're a nah. travel writer. It's just you and the laptop and you just go to different exotic places.
1: No, I think I'd wilt. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> and I'm going to guess it's because you would feel cut off from your community.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. Because, uh, yeah, you've just said community a lot, so I'm just yep. trying to. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. Good. Good job. <laughs> How
0: about a little bit of advice that maybe you could give somebody else? Like, I don't know, maybe you met an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old mm-hmm. who reminds you a lot of yourself, Claire, and yeah. she has the opportunity to travel cheaply
1: yes where would you
0: recommend that she go
1: well i always tell my students that if an opportunity to study abroad ever comes that they need to take advantage of it um i i think i've told every class that i've ever taught that and when i was first teaching um i used to one of my like classroom not bulletin boards per se but i hung up like a big world map and then i printed out pictures from all my travels and you know like thumb thumb tapped them tacked them, you know, like with string leading to where it was. Cause I was like, I think it's so important to see the world outside of what you've known. I just, yeah. I, I just think it's, it's, it's really good. Oh, and, for sure. and if you can afford to, and that might mean like me saving for two years or maybe your parents, you know, like can, can pay the majority of it. Um, yeah, I absolutely tell them and because I, I tell them, so like when you study abroad, What are you gone? Like almost four months. When else in your life, unless you're a teacher, are you ever going to have off large chunks of time? Like it's not going to happen. And so I just I try to make it very clear to them, like if you want to travel, college is the time to travel because you're yeah, not many careers afford months of time off.
0: Oh, for sure. You can, you, do know? It, you can do it in kind of a work capacity, so to speak. And yeah. let's say you're a junior in college and you do that whole semester abroad. Well, I mean, you yeah. hopefully are still studying and, and getting your work done. Um, yeah. But if you're in Europe, you can visit 25 countries and just how yeah. marvelous is that?
1: Yeah, so, yep.
0: Okay, now let's say somebody can't travel. They Mm -hmm. either have obligations at home, like, I don't know, sick relatives perhaps, or just maybe they are working two jobs because they need to. Can these people get the travel experience that is, you know, the growth of the personality or the adventure or the fun or the growth of the soul? Can they Mm -hmm. do all of this without going any farther than, say, 50 miles?
1: So I think this pandemic experience either brought to light things that were already there or made people make experiences like that, but I at least know for, like, Holy Week, there's virtual pilgrimages that you can go on. I don't remember who it was. I think Drew Foster sent us a link, but I guess if someone's in that situation, like, start doing research on who, who offers virtual, you know, like, travel experiences and to where, because I, I do think they're more prevalent than at least I'm aware of, um, and, like, I did a, a Holy Land one, I didn't do all of it, but um, the video quality was really good. And so I know that that probably won't be the case for all of them. But I, I do think there's, there's a lot of virtual travel experiences that you can explore, maybe, until circumstances change.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, I'm kind of a history junkie, and I was wanting to... And I did actually write a book about East Germany. And mm. uh, I, I just saw so many both fictional stories, but also documentaries. I, I was just the biggest nerd. I mean, they were all subtitled because yeah. they were all in German. And so, I mean, yeah. I have to read these things. I just saw hours and hours and hours of these things. Um, so, yeah, it's just a little bit crazy. But, but yeah. yeah, you just you feel like you're there after a while. And it, it's just you get your own little culture shock when you get up and go to work the next morning you're like yeah. why are these people speaking english and they're not speaking german it's just yeah. the craziest thing yeah so okay um my last question for you is this claire suppose you are 100 years old we are going to fast forward to close to the end of this century and you are sitting on your porch and your loving husband is holding your hand and you are surrounded by children and grandchildren and one of your descendants asks you grandma as a traveler what do you look back on most fondly? And should I travel too? What do you say?
1: Uh, one of the first things that came to mind would be like, did I ever tell you about the time I traveled to Ireland with my family? Um, just because I, I don't know what the future would hold. And I would hope, like with my family and husband, we could do more travels. But um, yeah, I, if, if it's like a grandchild, it'd be fun to tell them, Yes, to travel and to, to tell them about um, the experience when my whole family, we went to Ireland. It was three years ago, and my dad had always said when my brother Column graduates from college that he wanted to take us all to Ireland because my last name's Larkin, and we have a lot of Irish heritage in us, and I never thought it'd actually come to be, but we did, and we traveled. It was my mom, my dad my two brothers and I, and we went to Ireland for 10 days and it was awesome. Traveling with family is different than traveling with friends. And it it was such a blessed trip. And we, my dad had some cousins that were living over there or spending the summer over there at the time. So like we kind of made Galway our home base and yeah, I would probably tell them if I hadn't already about, yeah, you talk about funny moments Oh my gosh! On that trip, when you travel with family, you just sometimes you know what buttons to push, but then also you just get <laughs> oh, there's some there's there's a lot of laughs that came from that trip. So I think that's what I'd say.
0: You would you would go back to Ireland, back to Asia? H- I would. Okay. I'd
1: encourage them to travel, and I'd, I'd take them back to Ireland.
0: Well, that is awesome, Claire. I just yeah. want to thank you so much. <laughs> this has just been
1: well, and I want to. Thank you for your persistence because preparing for this podcast made me go back and like read my prayer journal. And in a very real way, I like kind of relived the pilgrimage experience these last two days, just
0: rereading and
1: yeah, preparing for this. So I'm really glad you were persistent because it's been neat to relive the experience. So,
0: wow, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Okay, well, bye for now.
1: Okay, sounds good. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share this podcast with all of your friends. Until next time.